faith that acts. Uh, We need faith that sees a brighter future. We need the faith that believes the promises of God. And we need the faith that acts to see the promises of God fulfilled. It's really important that we actually have vision. Uh, It's really important that we believe that God is good. One of the core foundations of what we believe. It's, it's really important that we believe that God has a good plan for us. Uh, and it's also really important that sooner or later, we do something about it along the way. You guys are with me. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. So, you know, over the last few weeks, we've spoken about uh, the importance of what we think, the importance of what we say, uh, the importance of who we hang around. And so this morning, I want to look at what we do uh, in the gap. Uh, Sir Edmund Burke had this amazing uh, phrase and he said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The only thing that evil needs is for good men and women to do nothing and and evil things will take place. And so I pray that as a church, we would be a church that is full of faith and a church that acts to see the kingdom established in our nation. And so we can have vision and, and we have vision and we believe that God is doing amazing things. Uh, and we actually need to do something about it. Uh, good intentions and strategy alone won't get you to where you want to go in God. We, we actually need to be active in pursuing the promises of God. I don't know if you realize this from reading the scripture, but Jesus was an amazingly passionate and zealous man in pursuing the things of God. Uh, we, we often think of, the, uh, think of Jesus in these paintings that we see in like medieval times and, and in Roman church. And uh, we see these pictures, I don't know if you guys have ever seen them, but uh, it's a picture of Jesus in a white robe and somehow he's become Caucasian over the last 2,000 years. And uh, he's sitting at, like on a, lovely green, on a lovely green field with a lamb and he's patting the lamb, right? And that's, that's the image a lot of people have of Jesus, just the, the quintessential nice guy. And yet uh, he's also the guy that went into the temple to worship, found a bunch of people doing business and selling goods there. And so he thought it was a holy and righteous idea to go home. Okay, it was premeditated. He was premeditated. He made a whip and he came back to drive people out of the temple. That was, that was good, loving Jesus, you know, lovely, lovely Jesus. And uh, so it's really important that we have a plan, that we have a vision. Uh, and it's really important that we act on the things of God. Uh, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus actually said this. He said, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Sounds quite aggressive, doesn't it? Sounds quite forceful. Uh, The Amplified Version puts it this way. The kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault and violent men seize it by force as a precious gift. The promises of God are a precious gift. We need to pursue these things with passion and with zeal to see the will of God fulfilled in our lives. And so there's times when we need to pursue the things of God. There's times where we need to remain diligent uh, in in remaining active, in being active. And so this morning I want to look at the importance of having faith that acts. Uh, And I also want to look at five critical acts of faith that we need to go and engage in in our walk as Christians. Now, let me just ask you a a quick question this morning. You can give me a wave. Uh, Is there anyone here that likes New Year's resolutions? A few? It's okay. Okay. Uh, one of those people was my wife. My wife loves New Year's resolutions. In fact, she loves them so much, I've learned over 10 years of marriage that I actually need to schedule a night before I go back to work in January. I have to pick a night and I have to set that as my wife's uh, New Year's resolution night. And she's got a notepad, like it's a big pad, right? 
and, and I have to give her like, not, not like 20 minutes, I've got to give her like three hours. And she sits down with her New Year's resolution pad and she goes through and she works out all the things that we're going to have to change to, to get her to a New Year's resolution, right? We have to work out, got to change the budget, got to change the schedule. Uh, is there anyone here that likes spreadsheets? Anyone here that likes budgets? All the bankers and accountants put their, all the bankers and the accountants put their hands up. I actually, uh, I, it sounds really terrible, but uh, someone said to me between the services, they come to me and they've gone, I love spreadsheets. And, uh, and I actually, you know, we had a little moment there because I'm kind of partial to a good spreadsheet. And he said, one of the most satisfying things is when you get an email from somebody with a spreadsheet and you open it and it's really, really impressive. You know, like you, you, you push a button up here, you put a number in and something else changes down here and there's formulas and... And, uh, I, you know, I actually, I, you know, don't think less of me, but I, I actually like a good budget, right? You know that successful people uh, don't just have New Year's resolutions. Successful people deliver New Year's resolutions. You know that people that are financially successful, uh, they don't just have a budget. They stick to the budget. They actually deliver the budget. They actually, they make the required changes, the required actions that need to take place in order to fulfill it. If you want to be successful in business, you don't need to just someone, you don't need for someone to give you a budget. You actually need to deliver the budget. Okay? It's a results business. People aren't going, hey, it's great that you have a plan. They want to see what are you doing with the plan that you've got. So it's not just about having faith that sees and faith that believes. It's about actually having the faith to act on it. In John chapter 5, we have this uh, amazing story of Jesus at a place called the Pool of Bethesda. And uh, the story starts with Jesus traveling between two towns, as is really common if if you actually read the Gospels. And we pick the story up in in verse number 2, and it says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease, whatever disease he had. How awesome is that? I I just want to see that. I want to see the angel of God stir the pool up and someone walk in and get healed. And then it goes on and says, Now a certain man who was there who'd had an infirmity 38 years... 38 years is a long time. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time and said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And so Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. One of the reasons that I I love this story is because it demonstrates the heart of God towards people. It actually shows the heart of God towards people because God knew, just think about this, God knew that Jesus was coming. He knew that he was ordained to heal the sick and to set people free. And yet still God thought, I want to create and engineer a situation where people can be healed. Even before Jesus turned up, God had a heart to heal people. And so we often can live our lives uh, in the gap, live, living where we are now and looking forward to we, where we know God wants us to be and yet somehow we feel that God is distant, that he's apathetic 
and we're the ones that are most crying out for breakthrough. But I want to tell you this morning that right now, as we sit here, God is engineering solutions. He is engineering situations to get whatever you need to you this morning. Come on, Paul in Romans 8 says that God is making all things work together for your good. So before I say anything else, I want to say this. God is not distant. God is not apathetic. He, he's not, he has not heard. It's not like he hasn't heard the needs and the things that you're praying for. The miracles that you're looking for, God knows about it. And he is currently making all things work together for your good. Now, one of the things that I find really interesting about this story is the condition of the man that Jesus prayed for, right? Now, John doesn't tell us about any of the other people that got healed from stepping in the water. It tells this amazing story about what's going on, but then John doesn't tell us anything about the people that got healed that way. He only tells the one story of the man that Jesus prayed for, okay? And the condition of that man is that who was lame. In other words, he could see the angel of God, but he actually wasn't able to do anything about it. He physically was incapable of getting up and getting into the water. And so Jesus comes along, Jesus finds this man, he sees the condition that he's in, and he says, I'm going to pray for you. Do you want to be healed? And he prays for him, and instantaneously, the man is healed. And so here's this guy who can see what God is doing. He can see the plan of God, but his issue wasn't just the fact that he was lame. The issue was that he was unable to respond to what God is doing. His, his infirmity wasn't just the fact that he was lame, but he couldn't actually do anything about his situation. And yet God meets him and prays for him and he's miraculously healed. And so I feel like there are two groups of people in this story that both have the same outcome, but they get there in different paths, right? There were people in this story that got healed from stepping in the water and there is the one man that got healed when Jesus prayed for him. Both were healed, but both took different paths to get there. And so I feel like in life, there are times where we find ourselves in both situations. There are times where we cannot do anything about our circumstance and the best that we've got is to pray to God, you know, Jesus, can you help me? Has anyone been in that situation? You feel completely helpless and the only thing that you've got is God help me. And yet at the same time, there are situations in life where we're believing for a miracle, we're praying uh, and we're waiting for God to turn up and yet he's engineering, a, he's engineering a situation and he's waiting for us to respond. He's waiting for us to respond to what he's doing. And so I believe we find ourselves in both situations and, and more than anything, you know, I'll happily be really busy doing stuff only to find out that God's doing something completely sovereign on my behalf. I'll happily, I'll be really happy uh, if, if I'm busy doing stuff and uh, after, after the end of it, God comes and says to me, hey, I've got this one, you, got, you, can just, you can just take a seat on the bench. I'm cool with that. But I pray that we would never be a church that misses out on what God has because we failed to respond in a situation. I pray that we would never be a church that misses out on the promises of God because we had the faith to believe, but not the faith to act. And so I pray this morning that we can be a church that... Acts, a church, that pursue, a church that pursues the things of God. Uh, Ephesians 6 verse 16, uh, Paul says this, Above all, taking the shield of faith. Can you say with me, shield of faith? Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, uh, if you were here last week, who was here last Sunday morning? Uh, Sam preached a, a great 
a great message about the armour of God from this passage. Uh, and one of the things that he, that he pointed out is that when Paul wrote this verse and spoke about the armour of God, when he spoke about the shield of faith, uh, Paul would have had a picture in mind of a Roman soldier, right? Because Paul lived in Rome, he travelled in Rome, he spent his life in the Roman Empire. And so when he wrote this, he had a picture of a Roman soldier with a Roman shield. Now, a Roman shield uh, wasn't this small, round shield. Like, he wasn't Captain America. Who knows what Captain America's shield is like, right? A Roman shield wasn't like Captain America's shield. It was this giant, rectangular, convex shield that stood about this tall, okay? And the thing that's really important about the Roman shield is it's not just the fact that the Romans had a shield, but the important part was the tactics that they used when they were actually in battle. That actually made them really successful. Now, if we look at the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire was hugely successful as a military force, uh, and they had this specific uh, tactic that they used. And so what they would do is uh, they would go and engage in battle, they'd go and pick a fight, and they would go and get the shields out, and they would set up in formation. And the formation that they would set up in is that they would have two rows of guys, okay, side by side, and they'd have one at the front, and they'd have one at the back. And the man at the front would get their shield, they would get their shields up, and they would lock it in to the guy that was standing next to them, okay? And then the guy in the back row, the guys that stood one behind, they would pick up their huge shield and they would hold it above their heads, right? And so they would form this, this, this wall, this formation, right? And when they did this, the Roman army was pretty much impenetrable. It didn't really matter what came against them. It didn't matter if there was cavalry or archers or whatever was going on. Uh, they were pretty much impenetrable. And what they would do as a tactic is they would set up in formation and then they would advance. They, they would march forward, right? Now, just quick history lesson. Uh, up until this point in history, the Roman Empire, the Roman military, was the most successful military force that the world had ever seen. They, they pretty much conquered what they believed to be the complete known world. So in terms of a military force, these guys were hugely successful, okay, um, but it wasn't just their shield that made them successful, it was their tactic, okay? And the most important element of their tactics was one thing. It was movement. It was advance. It wasn't just the fact that they were safe, but they were moving forward. And they could weather any, anything that came against them if they had their shields up and if they were doing one thing, moving forward. And so the safest place for a Roman soldier to be was in formation with his shield up at the front of the line moving forward. If there was a chance that you wouldn't get injured or you wouldn't get killed, you'd probably be at the back somewhere, but the safest place to be was at the front moving forward. Now, over time, obviously, enemies started to realise what was going on and they started to understand the tactics that the Romans used. And so essentially what they worked out was, we, we, can't, beat, we can't beat the shield of the Roman army, we just need to stop their movement. We just need to stop them advancing on us. We, we, need to, we need to create space and stop their ability to move forward. And so what they would do is they would go and engage with the Roman army. They would let them set up in formation. They would let them advance to a certain point, And then they would engineer a situation where they were unable to move forward. And when they had lost their movement, when they had lost the ability to move forward, their shields became ineffective. Their shields, the shield of faith became ineffective because all of a sudden there were all different types of tactics that they were open to because they had lost the ability to advance. Uh, your shield of faith is designed to be the most effective 
when you've got your shield and you're moving forward. Did you know that? We talk about faith and Paul talks about the shield of faith, but the shield of faith wasn't designed to stand there and do nothing. Your shield of faith was designed for you to advance. Your shield of faith was designed for you to move forward and the safest place to be in the kingdom is at the front of the battle with your shield up, moving forward. Okay? The Christian life is based on one idea. It's based on the concept of advancement. Jesus said to Peter, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. What was his intention? That there would be a bunch of believers with their shields up moving forward. Nothing is going to stop it. And so the enemy isn't interested in taking your shield away because he can't do that. The only thing he needs to do is try and stop your movement. All of a sudden, if you lose the ability to move forward, the ability to advance, you are open to the different tactics that the enemy can employ. And so if you feel like you're under attack... If you feel like you're praying and yet things are still going wrong and, and, and you're still being afflicted in different ways, I've got one word for you this morning. Let's get up and move forward. Pick the shield up, hold it high, and move forward. You know, whatever you need to do to push outside your comfort zone is what you need to do this morning. If you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like you're in a place and you need to get out of there, first thing you need to do is get up and do something about it. Maybe you, need to come, maybe you need to come to church. Maybe you need to come up and praise God at the front. Maybe you need to go and tell your neighbour about Jesus. Whatever you need to do to move forward, go and do something about it. Maybe you need to bring your kids to youth on a Friday night. Whatever it is that you, knew, you need to do, do something about it. There's a story, uh, actually a parable that Jesus tells. It's in Luke chapter 11. And for a long time, it, it kind of seemed counterintuitive to me at least. Uh, until I understood this concept about movement, about advancement. Uh, and it's in Luke 11. It's also in Mark chapter 11, the same parable. And Jesus says this. He says, he's, he's, just to give it some context, he's just prayed for a man that is possessed by a spirit and has become free. And he's answering questions and he tells this parable. He says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to the house from which I came. And when he goes there, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So Jesus is talking about a person. He's talking about the condition of a person. He says, someone is afflicted by an unclean spirit. The spirit leaves, and the response of the man is to sweep the house, tidy the house, but don't put anything in it. And so when the spirit returns, he finds an empty house and he habitates the house again, okay? Your house is never meant to be empty. When you got clean, I think about what was meant to happen in this situation. What scenario was meant to take place? What was meant to take place is when this guy got saved, when this guy got freed, he was meant to go and pack the house up, fill it full of supplies and then start moving somewhere, okay? You're not meant to live with an empty house, we often think that we need to get things out of our life, but the truth is we don't need to just get things out of our life. We need to get Jesus into our life. We need to get something into our life. And so we need to be moving forward. We need to pack the house up, fill the house up. House shouldn't be there. Someone comes back to knock on the house. Sorry, we've moved, but I'm actually moving forward with God. We actually need to be pursuing the things of God. It's not just about the faith that believes. It's about the faith to act. Uh, I want to give you five acts of faith this morning to wrap this up. Five practical things that you can actually engage in uh, to, to be active in your faith. Scripture that 
came to me this week is, uh, is Joel chapter 2. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, it's only a really short book. And Joel finds himself as the leader of the, the Israel nation as a prophet. And they're under great, great attack. They're under great opposition. They're pretty much at the verge of being completely wiped out. And Joel prophesies this from, from chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people and sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from a dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep before the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach. Listen, they were in a position where evil was going to overcome them and they said, we need to do something about it. And so he said, it gives you these five keys. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people and sanctify the congregation. Five things that we need to do to act on our faith. Number one, we need to worship. We need to blow the trumpet. Whatever you need to do to make some noise, we need to worship God. And that means you go and put a CD in your car and you go and get the windows tinted and you go and drive down the highway real fast so nobody can see you singing at the top of your lungs. If that's what you need to do, do it because we need to be worshippers of God. Maybe you can just do what I do. I just walk up the front. People think I sit up the front because I have to be on the stage. I just sit up the front because I don't want to be distracted by anything else that's going on. I want to sit at the front. And I want to be here in front of the band and the only thing I can see is the words and no one can see me. (laughs) Actually, everyone can see me, but I feel like no one can see me because I can't see you guys. And I'm worshiping God. We we actually need to worship God. If we want to see the things of God, we need to find ways to get His presence into our atmosphere. And the number one most important thing we can do is worship. Uh, Number two, we need to fast. (laughs) Don't let a fast be like your New Year's resolution. Something that you do in January that you've forgotten about by June. Okay? Jesus says in the Gospels, he doesn't say, uh, if you fast, you should do it this way. He says, when you fast, fast like this. So don't let it be a New Year's resolution. Let fasting become part of the lifestyle. If, you're, if you've hit a brick wall, if you're praying and you're believing and you're trying to do some things and you're not getting anywhere, fast. Just do what Joel did. Call a fast. I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe that God's got good things in store for me and He's currently making all things work together for my good. Number two, call a fast. And number three, you need to pray. Nothing would make me more proud than for people to come into our church and know us as a church that prays. We actually need to set apart time And it's not always the easiest. It's not always the most comfortable. But we actually need to set apart time to pray and call the things of heaven down to our situation on earth. Come on, my my, my daughter, we we pray for our kids every night. And my daughter's, she's talking. She Actually, she talks a lot. (laughs) She talks a lot. But uh, she's still learning how to pray. And uh, she she only knows three lines. Jesus... Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please help mum's baby come outside. We need to learn how to pray. You don't need to be good at it. You don't need to know a lot about it. You just need to do it. Amen. Uh, Number four, connect with faith-filled believers. Come on, we celebrate this every week. There, There are times, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I've felt down and out. I've felt 
completely discouraged, completely disqualified, and yet I've been lucky enough to have people in my life that are full of faith to go, we believe that God is doing something in your situation. Come on, we believe that God is fighting on your behalf. We believe that He's actually active in doing something right now, and you can do this. You can do this. We all need to connect, not just with people, but with faith-filled people to fuel the fire of faith in our lives. Come on. The, the people I love most are the people that are pushing me. You know, the people that are pushing me. It's not always comfortable, but it's the ones that are going, hey, there's, there's, more, there's more to do. There's, there's further to get. There's further to go in Jesus. And so I pray this morning that you would connect with faith-filled people in order to get you where God wants you to be. Number five, Joel says, sanctify the congregation. If you're gonna, if you're gonna do something, if you're gonna get, if you're gonna get to where God wants you to be, you need to get right with Jesus. You need to get right with Jesus. And it doesn't matter whether it's the first time you've walked into a church, or maybe it's the maybe it's the hundredth time. Maybe you've been here. Maybe you were part of the team that founded the church here twenty something years ago. It doesn't matter how long you've been coming. Only thing is that, the only thing that really matters, like Vic said, is are you right with God? He's done everything. Yeah. He's done everything on your end and now the ball's in your court. Do you need to get right with God? And it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be a hard conversation. It can be something as simple as, as it was the first time I walked into this couple's church. God, I've got no idea what I'm doing. And, and I'm actually getting nowhere. I need you to help me. Because literally, where I was going, was going nowhere. And so I just had to walk in, but I needed to get right with God. I needed to stand there at the time and go, I don't know what you're about. I don't understand anything about you, but I know that I need to get my relationship right with you. And like I said, maybe you've been here for a long time. And, and church and Jesus has become something that you a process, something that you come and, and tick the box and said, I've done that for the day. And we all like to feel like we've ticked the green boxes and everything's going smoothly. But more than anything, we need an encounter with God. If we're going to get to where God wants us to be, we need to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so whatever situation you're in today, I believe there's people that are here this morning that need to get right with God. And so if you could just take a moment just to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to create an opportunity for anyone here this morning that needs to do that. Anyone who knows, and right now you feel the Holy Spirit talking to you and, it, and the Holy Spirit saying, you need to get right with Jesus. And it could be, it could be the first time you've done this. It might be something that you've done dozens of times before, but you know in your heart that you need to go, Jesus, you are the king in my life. And I need, to, I need to follow you. I need to pursue your plans. I need to do something about it this morning. And so if that's you this morning, if you're in a situation and right now you just know that you need to get right with Jesus, that you need to get right with God, I just ask you just while in this moment of privacy where heads are bowed and, and people are, praying for you right now. If that's you and you're, in that, and you're in that position, you know that you need to get right with God. I just want you to quickly raise your hand for me. Come on, I see those hands around the building. Come on. Come on, thank you, Jesus. 
Come on, we, we honour those, those decisions this morning. We, we honour your faith to go, I need to get right with Jesus. And so, Father, we just thank you for every person that responded this morning. We know that you are at work calling the hearts of people to respond to you. Father, And right now, for those people that made decisions, Lord, whether it was the first time or the fifth time, Lord, right now, we pray that you would bless them, that you would favour them, Lord. And more than anything, we pray that you would give them grace to start to act, to start to walk in faith the plans of God in their life. And Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for City Point, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would bless every person in each of our locations, Lord God. Not just in Redcliffe, but in every location, Lord God, around the world, that right now you would encounter people and you would release grace and favour and empowerment for people to pursue the things of God, Father, because we know that there is more out there. We know that there are greater things. Your word says that greater things will take place through us, Lord God. And so we declare that this morning. Father, we pray that you would release the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon people in this building this morning. Father, for your kingdom to be established, Father, we pray that you would raise up a generation of men and women that are passionate about the things of God. Come on, that will worship you, that will fast, that will pray, that will connect with faithful people, Lord God, and that will get right with you no matter what the situation to establish your kingdom in this nation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Come on, let's give him a round of applause this morning.